0: I mean, welcome to
1: another episode of Collective Conversation. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and I am very excited about our guest today. Um, we have with us the director of client performance at apartment ratings and satisfacts, Melissa DeSico. Melissa, so welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thank you. I'm so excited. So oh. excited to be here.
1: Excellent. I, I am too. Melissa and I go back, I think, 14 years plus minus. Uh, we worked uh, with one another at a company called Mills Properties in St. Louis, Missouri, for the better part of nine years, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not that so mild? Yes.
1: <laughs> and, and one thing that I did learn about Melissa during the time that we worked together, lots of wonderful things, lots and lots of wonderful things to include this data point for all of you out there. She loves Dolly Parton. Loves, loves, loves Dolly Parton. So tell us how you came to fall in love with Dolly Parton. I we have to lead with that.
0: <laughs> well, It's funny. I, so I I never really liked music when I was little, and and no one could believe that I didn't care. And so my aunt used to play like different. Bands, things like that. So she would play me like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all this stuff. But you know, I'm little, so she decides she's gonna play Dolly Parton. So she puts on Dolly Parton, and it's "The Coat of Many Colors" was the first um, song that I heard. And I don't know if it's because I was little or what, but um, Dolly's like little voice just resonated with me, and I just felt like, oh my god, this is it! Like this, (laughs) this is is where I want to be. And um, it's funny you know, it, it started there, but then for whatever reason, I just sort of became enthralled by the person that she is. I think as I matured and started getting over the, the cute little voice that she had or whatever, uh, I think it's just the person that she is in terms of just creating and, and bringing sort of enhancement to people's lives and sort of bringing joy and, and you know, doing all those things. So, um, you know, she's my sort of inspiration as it, as it, has gone. I, I used to tell people, so I'm adopted as well. And I used to tell people when I was little that, um, she was my mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. So, um, so anyway, it's a silly story and of course not true, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, she's sort of a guiding light for a lot of people. And I, I think that she is sort of that down home sort of real life person, even though she looks fake on the outside. Right.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. I, you know, I'm with you. I'm I'm not a country music fan, as you well know, but I I can certainly appreciate Dolly Parton in any time I ever see her. And when she pipes up with that huge voice that is much larger than her as a person, it's you can't help but smile and feel joy when you walk away from hearing her speak. It doesn't matter what the topic is. she's just a bundle of joy.
0: She is. She is. I love it.
1: well tell us uh, tell us our viewers in, in our listeners what it is you do at Satisfacts and apartment ratings and tell us a little bit about those two organizations as well
0: yeah so just a little bit about so I was a client for Satisfacts and apartment ratings for years so as you know with Mills properties um, and I just love their product and I loved the the sort of insights that we were able to get about a resident experience you know and and those kinds of things so Believe it or not, coming to this role, I just started in June, so it hasn't been that long. But it's one of those like dream job situations. It's it's something where I get to do this, and it's not you know I'm not made to do this. This is something I look forward to every single day. But um, but Satisfacts, if you're not familiar with Satisfacts and apartment ratings, I think you know if you stealing this a little bit <laughs> from Bernadette Gua, but you know we sort of get the opportunity to hold a mirror up in front of remarkable people and organizations and we get to help them see or realize you know their potential to bring out the best in people and sort of enhance the lives of people and you know really make that resident excuse me resident and employee experience really incredible and i think that that is The thing that drives me I get excited about that because you get to pull out that potential um, in people and organizations, Um, and so that is what we do there's a there's a different few different ways we do that so. One of my favorite um, favorites is the insight surveys that we do. So those are, you know, those touch point surveys across the resident life cycle. So starting as a potential renter, you know, through them going through your organization and potentially leaving or renewing, um, you know, we we get feedback along that process to see how we're doing. Um, So that that piece, I think, is really important in terms of enhancing, you know, that resident experience and journey. Um, we also do annual surveys um, to kind of get that feel overall. Um, and then um, we do employee surveys as well. So and some flexible surveys where you can kind of do what you want or we can help you with that. So that's kind of the cool piece. And then it's so funny, the response I get often when I say apartment ratings, <laughs> People uh-huh. hate it. they hate it. <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah, I know you're one of them. But um, I, as I was mentioning to you prior, you know, when we were chatting, it's, Apartment ratings has really changed because I remember at Mills Properties, I used to teach you know, customer service classes and I would say, if you don't want to know what apartment ratings is now, you need to go look and find out because you're going to see everything negative about your community out there. And so now, you know, now being part of it and I was, you know, mentioning to you recently, um, they started Epic, which is the experience and performance intelligence quotient. Um, And that's that letter grade that you see on apartment ratings pages. And so, you know, our goal for that is really to offer transparency to renters to know what they're getting into prior to signing a lease at a community. And And it's, it's a way, it's not just a random review, you know, it, it is, but it also, they also rate on different components as well. Um, and so, you know, that letter grade is made up of, you know, renter ratings, which is the highest piece, you know, the most weighted piece in that grade, um, the review count, so how many reviews are you getting? Um, and then are you know are you guys responding and then how quickly are you responding to those reviews so all of those things sort of make up a grade that really help renters understand you know how life is at that community so it goes beyond sort of you know the the things on apartment websites and things like that that are sort of created in a box, you know, to look pretty and, and give you, it gives you that real feel. And, and I think you'll notice if you, if you go out there again, if you haven't been there in a while, um, you'll <laughs> notice that there's a lot more positive sentiment out there. And I think it's a, it's a real force for good in terms of transparency for renters now as compared to what its reputation was previously. So,
1: <laughs> no, you know, and it, it, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that, that explanation, so to speak. And, and I, I'm always willing to give other or give platforms a, uh, try at a different moment in time because I know that over the course of a lifetime, things iterate and they iterate really quickly, especially with technology being introduced into the space. So I will do that only because you asked me to, Uh, but I, you know, this is a, this is a neat jumping off point, I think, or a segue because I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts, that that customer journey that you're talking about, certainly customer experience, customer journey, those are you could call them buzzwords but they are incredibly important as it relates to your organization but i think underpinning that at, at least i'll speak for myself underpinning that is a team member experience right or let's call it the human i don't i don't like the word human resource but it's sort of a talent in your organization experience that if that experience is not good or great or excellent, then suffice it to say this customer journey, this customer experience is probably going to suffer as a result of that, right? Is, it, is that fair to say?
0: Exactly, yes. And, and that's why I think it's interesting that we do both the resident sort of feedback surveys, but also the employee feedback surveys, because you can see sort of correlations there um, with both experiences. Um, you know, and I, I think that there's sort of this, You know, we we do that every year we sort of announce what the drivers for value are at an apartment community. So we've been doing it since 2013. And the number one thing on that list every single year since 2013 has been sense of community. And the interesting piece of that is that that is the same for employees. Right. So being celebrated, feeling like they're part of an exclusive club. Like those are the things that not residents aren't the only ones that love that, you know, employees are looking for that as well. You know, they're not just looking for sort of, you know, ping pong tables and, you know, know, perks that people think of. It's like, no, they, they want this real moment. They want to be recognized. They want to feel celebrated. And I, I think that, that, you know, seeing those two experiences mirrored, you know, if, if one experience is higher, the other tends to be higher too, you know, so you see those ratings, you know, when one goes up, the other goes up. So definitely. I I
1: believe that to be true. I, I, uh, I don't know why I did this, but let's, let's say it was several months ago for lack of remembering exactly when, but I went and looked up the definition of community and I'm not going to remember it verbatim, but when you, when you think about a sense of community, the community exists to support itself, but to su- it supported itself by way of creating these sort of interlocking things like psychological safety, right? Like food, water, and shelter. All of these things kind of combine together to create that sense of community. But the underpinning of it all is, is a human, right? And, and how a human engages in that community. And, and in my head, an organization really exists to serve the people that serve it. And so, by sort of by default, you're creating a community within an organization. And, and I think that organizations will be successful in the future. And I want to jump off to this term that you used when we were talking prior to getting on air human revolution. It's if we're not serving that well, if you're not serving that well in your organization, on a go forward, your organization will suffer. You're not going to go out of business because people need places to live and people, will if push comes to shove, they'll live in your community. But you may not be optimizing and, and maximizing the value of your community if you're not paying attention to this human revolution. So talk to me a little bit about human revolution.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I think, you know, it's sort of, you know, I think we've been through sort the industrial revolution. We've been through, I don't know what people call like the digital revolution or the informational <laughs> revolution. yep, yep. yep. But I think the and I I hate to bring up COVID, but I think something that COVID did was give people a chance to think about like what do what am I here for? And and what what do I want further? And you know, we always talk about you know, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, but they weren't offered the space to find that before. And I think now they've been given this opportunity to say, no, no, I want more and I'll go find it. And frankly, I'll leave a job without a job lined up if you're not offering it to me, because, you know, my time here is short and I don't want to live it 40 hours a week with someone, you know, and, and feeling like, you know, you're, you treat me like garbage all day long, and then I go home and kick the dog. You know that's <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: You know, you don't want them to go home, and then that that bleeds into your family life too. And I I think that there's this just revolution in terms of you know how we treat. It's it's kind of like that people and profits in harmony, um, instead of the sort of profits above. And it's not necessarily people above profits either. But it's 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 something where we need to get better aligned with how people are human today. And I think that, you know, it's not technology taking over for them. It's not, but it's really blending all of that. How can we use technology to really enhance what we offer from the human perspective? Right. So how can we make your job better? You know, you know, and how, how can we make experiences of, you know, whoever our customers are, it doesn't even have to be multifamily, but you know, how do we make those better and how do we make it better for both parties involved? I think that's kind of, where it is. And I think companies need to come to this sort of ideal that we need to rethink our strategy, right? We need to make sure that culture isn't just shiny words on a wall, that they're actually things that you can see and feel in our organization, uh, which I think is kind of the big downfall. I think a lot of companies, they they say they know their strategy or whatever, but then the moment something changes, it's like... "Ah." (laughs) That doesn't matter anymore. We're going to do this quick fix and, you know, whatever. You know, people matter, but we're going to fire a bunch of them because suddenly it doesn't matter. Um, You know, I think that that's where companies have an opportunity today is to really focus on strategy and culture as it relates to the human, the humanity of our business.
1: Yeah, it's just as you're speaking through that, it, it just it brings to mind the, you know, the technology will consume the rote routine work it's it's happening it will continue to happen and it, it will not stop for anyone and when that's all said and done there will be less uh traditional work to do right because it's going on behind the scenes but what won't be replaced i i just can't see this at least i can't see it right now is the soft side of business the human side of business the humanity side of business, and it just brings to mind that there'll be a different kind of team member, a different kind of leader in the future as a result of that. So can you kind of speak into that? What you think the I know we're sort of forecasting here, but what the. In my head, it's like the now leader needs to be this, right? Because it's, it's not tomorrow. It's right now that you need to be practicing these skills.
0: Right. And I, you know, I think it'll evolve. I um, I think leaders, just when you think of it in sort of the general terms, you know, there's all kinds of different leadership philosophies. I know, you know, servant leadership is what, you know, you subscribe to quite a bit, truly human leadership. You know, there's there's so many different ways to look at it. But I think ultimately, when you go into organizations, what you see is they want to lead in these you know, theoretical ways. But unfortunately, you find a bunch of managers and despite our efforts and sort of as much learning as we do or as much training as we go through and all of that, you you end up defaulting to managing people. And you're there to kind of make decisions and all of those things where whereas I think in the future, I think we have to really get rid of that management thing. It's about trust. Right. So we're creating these these. these sort of moments of trust between each other. And now we're cheerleaders, we're mentors, we're coaches, but we're, we're doing it in a different way because they don't need us. We're there to sort of create enhancements or experiences that, you know, really develop that person. And I don't know if that's coming across right, but I I, I think even today, I think we believe that, but I'm not sure that we're in practice doing it.
1: I think you're right. And I think, I think it's uh. I think the reason is to, I think to your point is there's, there's not an operating manual for that sort of thing. Right. And no one's written the book on, right. what you know, you, you want to, how do I fix my dishwasher? One, two, three, four. How do I love someone? Mm, that's messy. I, right. There's no, there's no picture for that.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to, as I mentioned before, it's it's about strategy and culture. And I, I think trying to create those things based on what you've seen in other organizations or whatever, it makes it so that it's not authentic. So I think starting with strategy and understanding who we are and our purpose and our why, you know, for being here as an organization, and then creating those values to drive your culture because they're really you, not because they look good or they sound good or whatever, But I think that's your guide. Right. That's the step by step thing where when you're talking through with your leadership, like these are the things we want. Like, here's our organizational value. It's, you know, trust or whatever. And and here's what that means to us, because that could mean, you know, different things for different people or even, you know, a collaborative environment that could mean we want you to argue with each other to to figure out a point or, you know, or we want you to work across departments and come up with solutions that everyone agrees on. You know, it could be, it could be different things, but defining those things and then making sure that your leaders are living those every single day. Because I think someone really showing that and, and making hard decisions based on those things are what the new leader is going to have to do. Because right now, when you go any into any organization, you'll see these gaps in their culture. You know, they'll, you'll see these, you know, I just did a session at NAA with amazing panelists. So um, Susan Hobson at Tricap and uh, Karen Truman at Legend Management. And when we talked about it, you know, something I talked about with culture, and I, I think we missed this quite a bit, um, is everyone has this people first sort of mantra, you know. And yeah. and when you're thinking about it, you know, but they're the ones that would fire someone or they're the ones that would not offer development opportunities or you know, when someone leaves your organization. So this is, we started talking about like alumni networks and things like that, because when someone leaves your organization, they're no they're, they're not family anymore. They're, not, you know, all these things that you were saying about them, like it, it just, you know, it stops. And, yeah. and we say we say all these things, but, you know, when people leave our organization, they're still part of us. They still, That's right. you know, collaborate. They, they built us in some way, or, you know, they, they left some piece of themselves with us. And so, you know, I just think it's interesting how organizations Say you know they're, they're people first. That's all that matters. But then the moment they're no longer part, they no longer matter. You know. So another little example. But I think it's it's really finding those leaders who are just relentless about making sure that they are the stewards of the culture and that they are showing it every it, day. <laughs> it,
1: yeah, and I I think leaders who who do that. By the way, it includes. When you mess it up, because you will, you have to fall on that sword. You have to be vulnerable, fall on that sword, switch gears. I remember talking to you for nearly an hour straight about a decision that I made in a in a boardroom, right? <laughs> Quick snap decision. You and I talk for an hour the next day. I come back and I'm like, you know what? I did I didn't. I messed up. And here's why. And by the way, I spent an hour with Melissa having her set me straight, but <laughs> but in that <laughs> That's not to edify me in any way, shape, or form, but you you, you have to be willing to, you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. And that very thing is part and parcel to you being that leader in the future.
0: Right. I think it shows growth not only for the leader, but it also shows the people that you lead that no one's perfect, right? It's it's okay. It's, it's showing a growth moment for you and for them to understand, like, everyone, this happens. <laughs> it's not... It's not all right. rainbows and
1: unicorns, right? That that's right. That's the best way to put that. <laughs> exactly right. So I I have to I have to get this in. we sort of pivot a little bit, but a lot of this work, the human revolution, and, and you know, a different skill set for leaders coming into the workplace certainly different skill set for team members coming in. A lot of this, at least in my head, and I think you, sh- you and I share this, is underpinned by a lot of work that Bob Chapman did. And you mentioned the book title. You didn't mention the author, but Bob Chapman wrote Truly Human Leadership. And Bernadette, by the way, the GY, I think she's from Australia. She is an amazing author as, as well. Just oh. incredible. She has an incredible blog. We'll yeah. link it up in the show notes. But yeah, uh, that's she writes... Oh yeah, just incredible. But anyway, talk to us about... Bob Chapman, you're you're near St. Louis, I, I think, right now. You're just across the border there, but Bob Chapman's organization is based in St. Louis. It's a conglomerate of companies all over the world, but somehow, some way, he's been able to create this leadership culture and certainly strategic <laughs> strategic about it. Talk to us a little bit about. Bob and, and what he's done and, and what has inspired you uh, out of his work.
0: Yeah. So um, you and I do share this as well. So scaling up is something yeah. that another <laughs> yes. based on the Rockefeller habits. I think that that, that got me going. And I, I actually went to a conference uh, for scaling up and Bob Chapman was the speaker and he <laughs> is from St. Louis. Um, but I, I, I remember watching him and listening and my eyes sort of filled with tears because I'm getting a little emotional now because it's like, God, yes, this is exactly what I was wanting. You know, this is what I want to hear. Like, this is where we need to go. Um, You know, because he tells the story about, um, you know, going to a wedding of a close friend and, you know, his friend was walking his daughter down the aisle and and giving her away to this guy. And they say, you know, we give this woman, you know, to be married to this man. And he's like, no, no, (laughs) what we're doing here is we're giving you to the opportunity to be stewards of each other's lives and to really make sure that those are enhanced for both of you, right? It's not about whatever, but it's, he's like, this is someone's precious child. And, and we have all of these precious children that we have the opportunity to serve in our organization, yet we don't treat them like someone's precious child, you know? And so I think that- he, he used the one that sort of, t- I know, as I mentioned, kind of kick the dog. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of a nod to him as well. But, you know, his book is Everybody Matters. And if you haven't read it, I mean, it's an oldie but a goodie. And it's it's funny because I think they were so far ahead of their time. Because now I think it's finally coming into this human revolution that they've sort of been speaking about this whole time. Um, but now people are realizing that, you know, people are human. Like there's a human piece as we mentioned earlier, of our business. And you know, they had created the guiding principles of leadership in their organization. And and as you mentioned, there's a they're a conglomerate. So they acquire businesses all the time. And you can imagine that that sort of change management process that has to go on there, but they have this, you know, they go in and they have this sort of calming sense because they not only tell about these guiding principles of leadership, but they're those leaders that actually do those things. And they are, they have what they call like listening sessions, which I kind of equate to kind of our feedback surveys, like getting that feedback from our customers, having them in the room when we're making decisions, you know, they they do that. They even, um, you know, when they go to their different companies and things like that, when they sit in a room, some of the first questions they ask is, these are our guiding principles of leadership. How are, we, how are we measuring up to these? Do you feel that? Do you feel that this is accurate in this organization? And, and they're willing to hear that feedback. And I think that's what we all need to hear because that helps us change. It helps us grow. It helps us build our companies and organizations into something better for those people that we have the honor of serving. Um, and I, I think that, again, he was ahead of his time. I think right now is kind of the time where that's going to start taking the front and center because if organizations don't get on board... I think you may still make money, but people aren't gonna want to work there. <laughs> right. You're gonna you're not gonna have people, you know, that that experience won't be there. It'll be a transactional, not relational, right?
1: Oh, I think that is the punchline, right? It it really is these next whatever, let's call it 10 years, just for sake of conversation. These mm-hmm. next 10 years really will be the transition from transactional to relational. And we've to your point earlier, we've given that lip service for so many years. That the team member first much I, I love team member first. I've seen that forever, right? And I think mean, Tom Peters coined that term or Peter Trucker, one of the two, but but it's it but it is true, but but it, now it's real. And you know, you can argue about the left brain and the right brain and analytical people and and certainly creative people and soft skills and hard skills, but the soft stuff is the hard stuff. And, and that's the stuff that we have to focus on now. And it's, I think to your point about Bob Chapman, it, it really is a privilege that you get to spend eight hours a day with somebody else's daughter, son, mom, dad, right? We are people serving people. Right. And it's important. It's important right.
0: work. And it's funny when when you start doing these things and sort of living this way and, and creating a business with this sort of foundation, you know, even I, I, we have a mutual friend who is uh, very analytical and um, <laughs> in sort of the accounting uh, finance sort of world. And it, it, she she didn't want any part of any of this when we started doing kind of the strategy and, you know, culture and, and started creating like our values and purpose and things like that. And, and now I'm not kidding. Like she's one of the biggest like proponents of doing these things in organizations because she saw it starting to work. And I think, you know, she thought, oh, no, it's just about money. Like, let's just give them money. And that's what's going to help us like grow and whatever. And it's like, no, I yes, I think there's a threshold where people need to make a certain amount of money. And I think they need to be secure in that part of their life to really have sort of the mental capacity to really offer critical thinking and, and doing the hard work. But after you've met that threshold, like then it's it's more about how am I enhanced? How am I enriched as a person? through your organization. And I think that even someone with that analytical brain can see that starting to work, you know, and um, I'm not sure if you, I think his name is Dan Price. I'm not sure if you follow him, Um, but he's gravity payments. And he was the one like long, I don't even know how long ago that was. I don't know if you remember, but he decided at his organization, he was going to make, you make $70,000 a year, even entry level. And I mean, he, I think he said something like, you know, one of his quotes was, you know, why do I make seven times more than like my employees? Like, why do I deserve that? Why do I need that? You know, right. I, I think and it's funny, people thought he was crazy when he did that. But then, you know, he started seeing not only his profit and whatever success in an organization start coming through, he started seeing like, as we mentioned earlier, like this sort of overall human like wellness sort of thing going on with his employees too. Like it wasn't just, it wasn't just they were happier at work, right? But they were like mentally and and you know, in terms of physical like health, they were actually improving and, you know, doing things outside of what they had to do, not only for the organization, but their communities and their families. And it's like, oh, that's like that's like the utopia. Right. That's that's I mean, it's, maybe it's not plausible for us to all offer that high of a salary right? for um, for all of our employees. But I think we can get there. And I think you'll see the profits start following that, too, at some point. Like we're going to we're going to get there at some point.
1: But uh, yeah, yeah. I well, it it'll take the the Dan's of the world who put themselves out there, right? And and somebody has to go first. And and I do think that that Dan went first. And it, you, you know, it, that whole thing sort of brought this chain of thoughts to my mind. So, Dan, uh, Bob Chapman's work. He tells a story about they did the listening session, and this guy discloses that when I go home at night, I throw my hat in the house. And if the hat comes back out, I know to go down to the pub for a couple of hours, but if the hat doesn't come back out at me, I know it's okay to go inside, right? <laughs> but the point to that remark is this, if we're not feeding people at in this, this eight-hour window of time that we have, feeding them in a way, feeding their character development and all these sorts of things such that when they go home at night, they're doing that work in their home, they're doing that work outside of their home, to your point about Dan's workforce, but... But Dan's, you know, somebody has to go first to actually set up the stage for that kind of wellness and enrichment. And, you know, his, every one of his employees, I think I read just the other day, every one of his team members, Dan Prince's, that is, owns a home in Seattle. And they were able to purchase those homes, let's say, let's say it was 10 years ago, the value of those homes today versus the value of those homes back then, right? You can only imagine the appreciation. None of them at the the entry rates would have had that opportunity, right? But he gave it to every one of them. Yeah. And, and he's enriched all of their lives in a way that it's it's starting the human revolution. He started it. <laughs> he, he
0: did. Yeah. I mean, I think Bob Chapman sort of started it, but
1: yeah, I think yeah, he
0: took it to the next level where, you know, and I, I think there's opportunities out there for even multifamily companies to sort of What can we do? How can we be that, right? How can we set the stage for what's next? Um, And I think that opportunity is there. And I think it just needs someone to to take hold of it and really care enough to to dig in and find out how their organization can contribute to the sort of overall health and wellness of, you know, our workforce. I mean, I I know that sounds like a lofty, lofty thing, but I think it's got to start somewhere. And I think everyone's kind of afraid there's so many people that are kind of stuck in that, like, this is how it goes, you know. The five day work week. I mean, I, I know that I might be the only person that <laughs> agrees that it should be less than that. But I mean, my gosh, you know, you spend more time at work than with your family and, and building you know, memories and all those things. Like, I love my coworkers, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, is that what we're really here for? And I don't mean to get into like those kinds of conversations, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's about how are how are we building the whole person?
1: I I think you're spot on, and and I do think. Look, the biggest disruption, at least my opinion, biggest disruption that will happen over the next ten years, is completely blowing up the higher hierarchical way of doing business, and that uh, socialocracy or holocracy that that the the, the guy at the Zappos tried to create. I, th- I think he moved away from it, but he was the first attempt at it. I think that's. Biggest disruption to business will be blowing up the hierarchy. It's going to happen. And for this reason, right, that it'll allow the Dan Prince's kind of system to move in and take over what is the hierarchy today. The only reason you even have the only the only reason for a hierarchy is for triage, right? Something catastrophic happens in your business. You just need a triage for communication and decision making. The rest of it can happen. Right.
0: Exactly. It's, yeah, it's that management. It's that decision thing that, you know, pretty soon technology is going to make all the decisions for us, right? Because there's going to be an algorithm that tells but, us what the best decision is. So we don't need leaders to do that. Right. That's yeah.
1: right. Yep. You need leaders for crisis management and mental health issues and concerns. And so the, the leader of the future to me is going to come right out of the philosophy or psychology department. And it's just, it just is right. are those are the individuals who come in and make the real impact in, in business on a go forward.
0: Ooh! so since I'm a psychologist, do I get to be in that that class?
1: <laughs> yes, you do.
0: <laughs> well,
1: Melissa, I feel like this is probably a good place to, to kind of tie up the conversation. This has been awesome. And I feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> but is there a... I want to give you the opportunity to certainly promote Satisfacts apartment ratings, uh, tell people where they can find you online, or in, in any closing words of wisdom for our viewers and our listeners.
0: <laughs> well, you can find her um, satisfacts.com, which is obviously for our partners. So in multifamily, that's where you would go to access any kind of survey information. We have a ton of stuff out there too, though. So we we do monthly webinars. So just content to help you. Um, The one coming up in October is on delinquency. So if you have any kind of, you know, we did celebrating teens last month. So there's one you can go check out. But we have webinars, you know, all kinds of different resources out there apartmentratings.com, you know, we can help you manage that to make sure you have a good reputation there. So um, you can do that. I'd love to connect uh, with people on LinkedIn. So, you know, if you can find me, Melissa DeCicco, um on LinkedIn, that would be wonderful. Uh, you know, I figured since we opened today with Dolly, we should probably close with Dolly as uh, well. And I, I, you know, I think when we were talking, I, the one quote that she had, I think really sort of sums up what we've said today. And I, she said, don't get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And I think that that is, it just resonates with me and hopefully with some of your viewers as well, because I think we get so stuck in this. I have to be the most amazing sort of in my career as possible, but we forget about some of the other important things in life too. And and I, I, just, I would just hate for someone to sort of get into this cycle where, you know, they, When they die, it's like, yes, but I hit those numbers <laughs> the end of the year. You know, yeah. And, and I, I I just I think she said it best. Don't I it agree.:
1: That was an amazing close. That might be the best close ever <laughs> for a collective conversation.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll leave it to Dolly for that, right?
1: That's right. <laughs> Melissa, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure, and uh, for our viewers and listeners, uh, you can catch this in about two weeks. We'll post it out on a Tuesday, roughly around 11 o'clock in the morning. And I appreciate you stopping by to take a listen. Take care. So much. Bye now.
0: Bye-bye.